your Bibles really well, you know that what's happening here is happening right smack dab in the middle of a controversy. Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples. And uh, this, is, this is crazy because in Luke 22, uh, which is kind of the parallel Luke's version of what's going on right here, in Luke 22, it says that they're having a fight about which of them is the greatest. Which of the 12 disciples is the greatest? Lord, who, who's the greatest? Who's going to sit at your right hand? And who's going to sit at your left hand? And so they're, they're having this discussion. John doesn't tell us this, but Luke tells us this. And in the middle of this discussion, this argument, what's going on, Jesus bends down, grabs a towel, and starts washing the disciples' feet. The context here is he's within a couple of days of being crowned Lord of Lords, King of Kings by going, going to the cross. And, and so he's about to subdue all of his enemies. He's about to magnify his name, make himself holy in the sight of all the world and every tongue, tribe, and nation. And how does he do this? He does it in a way that completely dumbfounds every tongue, tribe, and nation. How does he grab power? Not the way that you and I grab power. He does it by humbling himself down into the dust and grabbing a towel and washing the feet of his disciples. You see, this is a common theme all throughout the gospel, right? That the way up is down. The way to glory is to be the ultimate servant. He defeats his enemies. He defeats the enemies of sin and death by being hung on a Roman uh, torture device. And this is the way that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is crowned above every name, that is above every name. This is, this is amazing. This is absolutely amazing, and it should dumbfound us all. It should completely dumbfound us all. Jesus, whenever he wanted to be uh, exalted high, he goes low. He does it every single, every single time. And so it's pretty spectacular. So let's read, uh, uh, let's follow along, because uh, Mitzi read a whole lot of stuff, and so I want to kind of bring back some things into remembrance here. Because what Jesus is doing here is, uh, kind of want to set this up as Jesus is doing kind of an undercover boss situation. Have y'all ever watched that show? Where uh, uh, undercover boss, you know, he's like the king, he's the boss of everything, and then he comes down and kind of sees how everything's working out. That's what Jesus uh, has kind of done here on earth. But let's read verse 12. It says this, do you understand what I've done, done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, wash the disciples' feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done. And what Jesus is showing us here today is the meaning of life, the meaning of your life. He's showing us the essence of true love. He's showing us how to serve one another within the church. He's showing us, showing us these three things, the meaning of life, the essence of true love, and how to serve one another within the church. Let's look at verse 3 uh, before we dive in, just uh, so we can uh, remember what's going on. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He had come from God, and he was going back from God. This is the undercover boss thing, right? This is, he, he, where did he come from? He came from the throne of heaven, and he came down here to earth to see how everything was going out. Now he, he knew that he was about to be glorified and go back to him. And the, way, the, the, the very last thing, one of the very last things that he does is he gets on his knees. While they're arguing, 
Who's the greatest? And so they're trying to decide, uh, Lord, as you're setting up the kingdom of the 12 tribes of Israel, can I sit at your right hand? And who's going to sit at your left hand? Obviously, I really want to sit at the right hand because that seems to be better. But left hand's still up for grabs. I could settle for left hand. While they're talking about this, this is the context of him grabbing a towel and going into this. Now, this is why this is so important. This is really, really important because there was laws on the books that rich people in, Ju- in the Judean prophet, pro- prov- uh, prov- province, I couldn't say it, <laughs> I was like, Providence, what is it? <laughs> in the uh, province of Judea, in the province of Judea, there was laws written on the book that, that rich people could not make their house servants wash the feet because it was so degrading, it was so lowly, that it was something that uh, you could not force a day laborer to do in your household because it was so demeaning and so demoralizing. And this is what Jesus does. This is the, this is the pathway of humility that he takes. And, and there's confusion around this, right? There's confusion because in the middle of this whole argument, he rose to teach them a lesson. And the lesson is uh, a foot washing is a small picture that God's word that Jesus' primary way that he wanted to come and communicate to us is that his word cleanses, the promise cleanses, and Jesus' actions cleanse us. And you say, Cody, why did you say that in three different ways? Because uh, Jesus is teaching something that we need to, this is a quick aside, not the main point, but we need to point out. In John chapter 15, verse 3, John chapter 15, verse 3, I'm going to put, put this up on the screen. It says, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. This is Jesus talking to the, uh, to the 11 disciples right here. You're already clean. Well, it's like, Cody, I thought they were clean because he went to the cross. Well, Old Testament saints are saved by the cross of Jesus, and New Testament saints, me and you, are saved by the cross of Jesus. However, the Old Testament saints were saved by believing the promise that God was going to make, was going to wipe away all of our sins as far as the east is from the west. So they were looking forward, they were looking forward to the, to the cross in, in the Old Testament, and we are looking back to the promise that what God accomplished on the cross. Does that make, are, are you with me there? So they were looking forward, and Jesus is, is expounding upon that teaching by saying, you are clean, why? Because I've declared my cleansing, promising word over you right now. Um, you, you have believed it and you have received it. You have confessed that I am the Christ who's going to take away the sins of the world, that's going to remove the curse that was in the garden. And because you believe that you are clean, you are clean. And Jesus, and Jesus says uh, to Peter here, if I do not wash you, this is verse 8, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You have no share with me. And so what is this teaching us? It's teaching us that we need the washing and the cleansing of the Word of God over us that points us to Jesus taking away our sins if we are going to be saved. So let's expound upon that because we need to pause and and expound upon the good news of the gospel. Why did Jesus come? Remember it says that he condescended, he came down, he came down to earth and he was about to go back, back up to him. Why did he condescend? Well, uh, in high school, I played, uh, I played football, and I, played, I, I had the opportunity to play quarterback. And there was one thing that I was really, really poor at whenever I played quarterback. 
Oftentimes, my coaches, sorry, you wouldn't have liked me. You wouldn't like me, MJ. You wouldn't have liked me. Um, um, well, oftentimes, when my coach says, whenever you make the read, Cody, you've got to stand in the pocket and take the hit as you're making the throw. Just take the hit. There's like, and I did not like to do that. If someone was coming at me, I was scrambling. I was, I was tuck, ducking out of there. I was like, I, I don't want to make the read, throw the ball, and then take the hit. I want to run away, make sure I have a lot of space, won't get hit, and then throw the ball. I was way more comfortable, way more comfortable with that. But uh, I, I, I mentioned that because why Jesus came is he realized that because of our sin debt, someone needed to take the hit for that sin. Someone needed to stand in the pocket for our, for our sins. Someone needed to know that the, that the wrath of God was coming towards the sin of the world and they weren't going to try to run away from it, weren't going to try to put up blockers, weren't going to try to um, put up things uh, to appease the wrath of God, but someone was going to have to drink that because uh, a, a sin against a holy, infinite, perfect God deserves an infinite amount of wrath. That's just math, okay? That's just math right there. And because, and because of that, we needed someone to drink it all. We needed someone to drink it all. And what Jesus did is he stood in the pocket and he took the hit of God's wrath. That's why, that's why he came into the world. He came into the world. He came down from heaven. And he, would, he, ha he had to be God and he had to be man because if you're going to drink an infinite amount of wrath, you need an infinite amount of worth. And the only thing that has an infinite amount of worth is God himself. And the only way that he could drink it for someone else is if he perfectly identified with the, the sinner himself. So he had to be fully God, and he had to be fully man. And that's why Jesus stood in the pocket in our place in the gospel, because he was drinking in the wrath of all of mankind. He was drinking it all in to himself. And whenever he drinks it in, he says, then I, I wash you, and you're clean. All religions in the world, except for Christianity, are basically this. They're like building a bridge. How do you build a bridge? You put concrete in the middle of the river, you build a pylon, you build a pole, you send out, you send out uh, um, some rope over there, and then you build a bridge out to that pylon, and then you build another pylon, and you keep on going, you keep on going. All religions is like trying to build a bridge to get you to God. All of the religions in the world are that. Uh, to make, or even, even if you're in here and you're like, I'm not particularly a believer in, or in anything, you are choosing a worldview right now. You're choosing a worldview right now that is trying to progress you and to grow you into something that you may or may not know the destination of. And so all religion and all secular worldviews are doing the same thing. They're building a bridge to somewhere. Christianity is totally different. Christianity is completely different. Christianity is an expansion, an expansion of the theology of Noah and the ark. Have you thought about Noah and the ark in the Old Testament in Genesis, uh, Genesis lately? This is what Jesus ultimately came, came to do. You remember uh, there's going to be the cup of God's wrath was going to be poured out as a flood on all the earth because of mankind's sin, right? We all know this story. Whether, whether you're religious or irreligious, you probably know this story. And God presented a blueprint of the way of salvation. And the blueprint for the way of salvation were instructions on how to build a structure or an ark that could withstand the wrath of God in the floodwaters. 
all right? And Noah, one man, Hebrews tells us that he was a preacher of righteousness to his entire generation. He said, this is the way. You have to get in the ark. Please, please repent of your ways. Come with me into the ark. It's going to rain, and there's going to be a flood, and it's going to cover the highest mountain in all of the earth. And they were like, this guy is crazy. Uh, let's, let's get rid of him. Let's completely get rid of him. Who cares? No one listened to the guy building a boat in the middle of a desert. That doesn't make any sense. That guy is just crazy. And what Christianity is, is this, is the expansion on that theology. That Jesus, Jesus wasn't just a preacher of righteousness. Jesus wasn't just paving or making, showing you the blueprints. Jesus was the blueprint. To where if anyone was found, anyone in this room found in Christ can take, can, can be safe from the flood waters of God's wrath. Why? Because Jesus stood in the pocket, he took it in your place. So that all that is left for you is the Lord getting down on his hands and knees and washing you and saying, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family, my daughter. Welcome to the family, my son. So Jesus came to expand. He came to expand the understanding of Noah and the ark. He's the truer and better Noah. He's the truer and better ark. Everyone found in him, everyone found in him is safe. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone was in the ark, they were safe from God's wrath. If anyone is in Christ, they are safe from the judgment of God. And not only that, but it expounds and says, he is also a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So, so uh, we see the servant-heartedness of Jesus. We see the glory of Jesus and this also teaches us the true meaning of love. The true meaning of love, great love comes from closeness. Great love comes from a servant giving up themselves for the betterment of, of who you are. And so this is explained in Philippians 2, which my wife and I read this week, chapter five, or verses 5 through 8. Uh, this is a great explanation of the servant-heartedness of Christ. It says this, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Uh, I think I'm going to put this, yep, put it on the screen. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though, uh, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, even death on the cross. This is explaining how Jesus took the hit. He stood in the pocket. He knelt, he knelt down on his knees. He washed you clean, and he brings you into, he brings you into the kingdom. Listen, faith in the gospel only comes through receiving the kneeling Christ for you. Have you received the nearness of Christ, kneeling at your feet, washing you clean, and have you accepted his washing? Have you accepted his grace? Because that's the first thing that we see here. Because Satan has done a lot of things with this passage by confusing the church. And let me point out a, a couple of things that uh, uh, he has really brought confusion of. A lot of times we read this, we read this and we say, oh, there's feet washing going on. And we use feet washing 
and define Christianity, um, define Christianity by something that we do rather than something that Christ has done for, uh, something that Christ has done for us. And so there's kind of two ditches um, off the path of the straight and narrow way of the gospel that um, that the enemy has made prevalent within our culture that uh, I want to kind of debunk here. And one over here is Christianity is mainly about caring for the poor. This is the first ditch over here. And the other side is Christianity is mainly about caring for yourself. So don't worry about the poor. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. That'll take care of society, and society will get better and all of that. And so we got two ditches, we got two ditches over here. Let me, let me explain. Let me explain. There's a line over here. There's a line over here, the ditch over here, that primarily thinks that Christianity is defined by the golden rule. We should do unto others as, we, as, as uh, God has done unto us. And we should love the outcasts of society. And if, if this group is not careful, listen, if this group is not careful, what they will do is they will use their care for the poor to make them feel like they're okay before God. They'll say, my identity is, not, is wrapped up in my care and love for the poor. And because my identity is wrapped up in this, you're not trusting in the finished work of Christ for your salvation. You're trusting in your works and care for the poor for salvation. Now, the, swing the pendulum over to the other ditch. The other ditch is, oh, we shouldn't care about the poor. shouldn't care about the poor at all. We should care about ourselves. Health Christians care about themselves. There was a Barna study in uh, 2017 that said 52% of confessing Christians strongly agreed that the Bible teaches God helps those who help themselves and said that's a Bible verse somewhere in the Psalms. That is nowhere found in the Bible. Nowhere found in the Bible. God helps those who helps themselves. Not you're not going to find it. You're not going to find the theology, but 52% of confessing believers in America say that it is say that it is. And the best way that we need to do, we need to live our life, take care of ourselves, do one nice thing per day, read our Bibles, pray, pray before meals, pray, pray before uh, bedtime, and do all of these things. Do you see how these two ditches are very similar? Both of these ditches are, are putting as pri primary, uh, prim the, the most primarily important thing in their life, what they do, not what has been done. So over here, I care for the poor, and God accepts me. Over here, I care for myself, therefore God accepts me. Why does, Christ, why does God accept us? Because of Christ and Christ alone. That is why God accepts us. He doesn't accept us because we are, are really good at the feet washing aspect of Christianity, and he doesn't, he doesn't uh, accept us because we have our 401k worked out, um, our house paid off, uh, we followed all of Dave Ramsey's plan, and, Dave, and Dave's, Dave's smiling at us, but, but Jesus might not be if we put it as the primarily most important thing in our life, okay? How are you saved? By Christ and Christ alone. You have to understand that God's condescension down to earth was for you. It was for you, Christian. You have to understand that he became a servant for you that he lived the perfect life for you, that he died the death that you deserve to die for you, for you, and that he resurrected from the dead for you. Have you accepted that and received that as the basis of your salvation? Or are you saying Jesus plus my spiritual gifts and how I exercise them over here? Okay? Or Jesus plus how, how much better I'm doing compared to my peers in, uh, that I went to high school with. 
because these are the things that are going to elevate our doing over what has been done, and that's not faith in the gospel. That is not faith in the gospel. So the the uh, so let me say that that uh, this is a primarily I have to say it because it's a primary way that we in our culture has been have distorted the call of Christ. We've distorted the call and exclusivity of the persimmons. Uh, uh, the the uh, I can't say the word. I'm I'm struggling with p words today. Um, uh, the supremacy of Christ in all things. Okay, I can't say p for some reason. I, I don't know why. Um, but uh, but do you see the ditches right there? See the ditches? And the gospel way does this. The gospel way it instructs us and informs us that whenever we keep Christ at the center of all that we do. We don't look at the poor and say, oh, I need to use you to make sure that I'm okay with God and to make sure that I feel okay with myself. You can look at the poor and say, I don't have to do this. I want to do this. I want to. Uh, Christ, Christ has overwhelmed me with his grace and his love because he's overwhelmed me with his grace and his love. Uh, how do I pour out? He poured out. He washed my feet. How can, I, how can I do that for others? You see, but the difference is, do you feel like you have to do this? in order to be right with God, or do you feel like I get to do this? I get to do this. This is the call, call of Christ. Let me, uh, I, I mentioned this earlier in a prayer, but I want to read um, Romans eight twenty nine. It says this, let's look at it. It says, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. Whenever God saves you, guess what? He's saving you to be conformed into the image of his son. He's not saying, if you conform, then I will save you. He's saying, I will save you, and then you will be conformed. Do you get the difference there? He's not saying that if you conform to the image of Christ, maybe you will be saved. If you care for the poor the way that Jesus cared for the poor, then maybe you will be saved. If you care for yourself and you follow proverbial wisdom all the days of your life, then maybe you will be saved. No, no. The, the, the centerpiece of your life has to be Christ and Christ alone. Christ and Christ alone. And whenever you receive him as the foot-washing servant king, Savior, Master, and Lord, all up in your grill, washing away your sin, whenever you receive him that way, whenever you receive him that way, then the overflow is what can I do for others? How can I be like him? How can I serve like him? Lord, give me your eyes. Give me your eyes. If not, we'll use. We'll use the Proverbs and we'll use the poor. For our, for our own justification of feeling okay. We will. We will. We have to keep Christ as preeminent, the servant of the world. We should follow his way. We should follow his way. So my question is this. What's the basis of your faith? Look at me. What's the basis of your faith? Is it Dave Ramsey? Is it your, is, is your empathy? Is it your care for, for those in marginalized societies? Is it you... Uh, let me ask it another way. Do you feel like you have a greater need for a pastor or a psychologist in your life? What do you need? What's the basis of your faith? What do you, what do you follow? Because there's a lot of man-centered gospel truths out there, gospel truths. There's a lot of man-centered gospel truths. And the Bible is always calling us to the supremacy of Christ in all things. And so uh, our gospel, one of our values as a church 
is gospel centrality. And so we say every week that we want to be a gospel-centered, disciple-making family. And part of our gospel centrality is recognizing that we are looking to the Bible alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, and the glory of God alone. That's, that's what it means for us to be centered on the gospel. To the only standard and rule that we have in the Christian life is the Bible. And, and, and our only assurance before God is our faith, His grace, His person, and the glory of God in all things. And so this is part of what it means for us to be gospel-centered. And if that's the part of the sermon that you tune out, that you tune out, I want you to, I, I want you to uh, uh, consider what is at the center of your faith. Do you whisper amen? Or do you shout amen whenever we say Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, his works alone, his word alone? Or do you say, well, I actually need this. I feel like I need this thing over here. I feel like I need Jesus, yes, of course, plus good, a good counselor. Jesus, yes, pl plus a group of friends that think like me, vote like me, and act like me. What is it? Uh, is Christ at the center of everything that you do? So what does this teach us? What does this teach us? It's kind of a rough transition, but I want to I kind of dive into the foot-washing Christ and, and, and help us understand uh, a lesson that, we that the Lord has for us today. This teaches us, this passage of Scripture teaches us that God is extraordinarily close, Okay? That God is extraordinarily close. We, we read this in our call to worship this morning. Uh, Michael read this in our call to worship. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. He is near to you, especially to those that are suffering. Especially more, more on that in a little bit. But I think a lot of times here in American uh, Western evangelicalism for the last 20 years, 20 years, the critique of God has been, I feel like the God of the Bible is just really, really far away. He's just really far away. I don't, I don't know how to bring him near. I don't know uh, what, what to do to get him close or to get in close proximity to him. And so our, our world says this, that some of the, the things that we see today, even um, by confessional Christians. Well, you know, I don't find, I'm not near to God in church. I'm near to God in nature. So I go, I go out to the mountains. I, I feel like I'm closer to God when I'm at Mount Scott, that massive mountain out there, you know, that huge mountain, um, the mountain of God, Mount Scott, you know. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm closer to God out in nature, or I'm closer to God after hours of meditation and concentration, or, I'm, or Joe Rogan would say this, is not Christian by any stretch of the imagination, or Joe Rogan would say, uh, I, I'm closer to uh, the, the light source or whatever God is uh, whenever I take drugs, DMT, mushrooms, whatever it is, psychedelics. Um, we think as a culture that he is far away. We think that we have to do some... Uh, some type of trek. We have to go find him. We have to go seek him out. But the Bible here is actually teaching us that he's at our feet. He's down, close. He's, he's very close to us. He's within our proximity. And you say, Cody, I, I, objection here. Uh, you might say that, that it, but that doesn't make that, it doesn't make it true. What about, you don't know the suffering that I've gone through. You might be saying this to me in your mind. You don't know the hardship that I've had the last five years. You don't know the hardship that I had the last five months. Um, and where's God whenever I most needed him? 
He's far away. I feel like he's really, really far away. The Bible has let me down. The church has let me down. And let me pause there, quick caveat. Uh, yes, the church will let you down. Yes, the Bible is not your source of salvation. It is the pointer to salvation, the source of salvation. Okay? So if you're reading the Bible, you're flipping open the Bible and being like, God, speak to me. All right. Uh, Song of Songs, chapter 4. You know, what do you, what do you got for me today? If you're treating the Bible that way, then yeah, that might, that, that might let you down. That might let you down, but it's pointing you to the source. Listen, listen. What you're really saying is that God... You've let me down. Let's just be honest, all right? It's called spade a spade. That whenever we say that God, uh, uh, I think he's not close. Cody, I don't think you uh, understand the hardships of, of my life. You're saying that God is really far, especially, especially in my suffering. You saying that this morning? You saying that? Um, and listen, I'm not up here speaking as... Uh, someone that's about to say, hey, buck up, um, get over it. I'm saying this as a fellow sufferer who uh, has, has gone through a fair deal of suffering in the past two years. Um, so hear, hear that in context, uh, that I'm right there in the trenches with you uh, as we look at God's word to instruct us. Amen, can we do that? All right. John 13:1. look what it says, Jesus showed his love, showed his own, or loved his own who were in the world, and he loved them to the end. You know what this teaches us? It teaches us that God's love never wavers. God's love never wavers. God's love is not like my love. God's love is not like your love, who's up and down depending on if you're hungry or tired or thirsty or, or, or whatever, or in the mood or feeling it or whatever. God's, God is unchanging. He never changes. And so whenever uh, this word tells us that he loved them while he was here and he loved them all the way to the end, one, that's true. That's objectively true. And so you say, well, Cody, how do I deal with the subjective feelings of his uh, distance in my life? How do I feel? How, how do I wrestle with this? How do, I, uh, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with this? Well, how should we deal with this? Well, let's look to God. We've already established that he is saying that his love never changes. But I think God, a lot of times in our pain and suffering, what he does is he puts the things in our life that we are putting as supreme over him. And he puts those on the altar and he sets them ablaze. You say, Cody, that doesn't sound loving. That doesn't sound loving. But what if those are the things that are keeping you from the ultimate happiness, which is Christ and Christ alone? What if God in his mercy, through the midst of our suffering, burns up the things of this world that have take, taken primacy in our heart? And he's doing that not because he wants you to feel like he's far away, but he's doing this because he's up in your grill washing away your sins. What if this is what he's doing in the context of our suffering, church? What if he is washing us and cleansing us to where he's not far away in our suffering? What if he's just very, very close and washing away the sins that are very near and dear to our heart hurts? What if it does hurt? But what if that, but what if those things are things that are ultimately for our good? Ultimately for his glory, ultimately for our good. What if God knows best? 
What if he's telling a story through your life and through my life? And just because our present circumstances feel hard doesn't mean that he's not preparing for us an eternal weight of glory for the, ma uh, for the majesty of Christ to be known, not just now in 2022, but for all of history. What if he's doing that within your life? We have to back up in the context of our suffering. This is why we need the church. More on that in a little bit. But this is why we need we need to dig into the word of God and through prayer. And we need to look arm in arm, side by side with people within the church so that they remind us, hey, I'm with you in this trial, but it's not because God is distant. It's because he's near right now. A lot of times our sins being washed away, the, th the idols of our heart being burned away, that hurts, that hurts, but that's his nearness. That's not his distance. He's near. He's near in the context of our suffering. This is what Peter is saying. Peter doesn't want Jesus this near to him. See, Peter respects God. He knows the, he respects Christ. He knows the holiness of Christ. He's seen how he's acted. He's been with him every day for three years. And he says, Lord, by no means, don't get this close. You're too holy. Don't waste it on me. And what does he say? What does he say? He says, no, 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 no. Peter. He came to Simon Peter. Let's just read it. He says, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus says, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Listen, there's some suffering that I've gone through in this life that I do not yet understand. But I trust the God who says his unfailing love never changes. His unfailing love never changes and that he is burning up the dross in my life and presenting to himself a clean, a clear, beautiful diamond. That's what he's doing in your life, Christian. That's what he's doing in my life. He puts the things that are auxiliary up on the altar of life, and he burns, and he burns. And this is his mercy. It's not his judgment. It's his grace. He's disciplining us. He's conforming us into the image of his son. This is good news. This is, this is evidence of the nearness of Christ. Let's not be like Peter. Let's not be like Peter and say, Lord, don't get near me. Don't get near me. What was Peter doing? He wanted distance between him and the Lord. And a lot of times in the context of our suffering, we want di we're uh, perceiving his nearness, him drawing near to us as, no, get away. I love my sin. I love the things of this world over you. And he says, I love you too much to let you, to let you dabble in this anymore. I will burn it up for my glory and for your joy. This is our God. This is a great God. This is a near God. And this is what the Lord is teaching us today. We cannot be at the center of our own universe. Christ has to be at the center of, of our universe. This is what God is teaching us today. See, he knows, he knows the cost of our sin. He knows what it's going to cost him to wipe us and to wash us clean. And don't, don't, don't treat his washing as indifference and distance. Treat it as grace. Uh, the analogy that I have for this is if I ever saw a dad go up to his son and drop kick him, I would call the cops immediately, okay? Let, let's just lay that out. That's, uh, I would definitely, definitely do that. Uh, completely unacceptable to drop kick your son, right? But imagine... My, uh, let's change the location. The son is in the middle of the street. He's a young son. 
And if a dad ran out there and drop kicked him and was run over by that car, I would say that dad is a hero. Same action, same action. Call the police in one, in one instant, completely, uh, complete, a complete hero in the other instance. Um, and imagine, imagine uh, a son or a, a father that, that did that, was paralyzed from the neck down and called over his son one day after um, he came out of a coma and said, son, please don't ever play in the street again. Would you listen to that dad who calls you over paralyzed from the neck down and says, don't play in the street anymore, son. I love you. My body bears the marks of my love for you in trying to keep you from the things that will harm you. Christ on the tree, he bore the marks of your sin, the thing that ultimately will harm you. And he says, my sons, my daughters, don't go near this anymore. Be through with it. Be done with it. I bear, I bear the marks. I bear the marks of my closeness on my body. His closeness is not a burden, but it's a blessing. It's a blessing reminding you that he died so that you might have life, which is truly life. So how should the church respond? How should we respond as the church? Hopefully we don't respond as Peter does. We don't respond as Peter does and say, Peter, uh, or say, Lord, get away from me. You're getting too close. You're getting too close. And so I want to uh, kind of mention this and kind of conclude our, our sermon today this way with the proper response of how the church is to wash one another's feet. The first thing I want to point out is that whenever you receive the nearness of God, whenever you receive the nearness of God, you're also receiving the nearness of his bride. What do I mean by that? Well, if you say, you come up to me after service, say, Cody, I like you, dude. You're cool. Like the shirt, like the shoes, like your overall whatever. Um, let's be friends. But one exception. I saw your wife. She walked in a little late. And uh, I don't want anything to do with her. How am I going to respond? Be like, if you want to be close to me, guess what? You're going to be close to my bride because I'm not like separating us for the sake of this friendship. We're a package deal. We're a package deal. You want to be close to me? You're going to be close to my bride and my family. That's what we do. That's what we do. All right? And if we do that, don't you think Christ thinks the exact same way? It's like, hey, I'm good with Jesus. I'm, not just, I'm just not good with the church. Uh, I'm good with Christ. I just don't like what's going on in the church, all right? This church is whack, or they're, they're not thinking about things um, uh, rightly, or, what, or whatever. Their music is too loud. I don't know what it is. Their preaching is too loud. Whatever it is. Listen, you cannot have Christ, nearness and proximity with Christ without nearness and proximity to his bride. You just cannot. You just cannot. Because Jesus shows us real love is defined by proximity. So how are we to be close as a church? We have to be close in proximity, number one. That means that uh, if we're just gathering together on Sundays, that is not enough. That is not enough. We are the people of God on the mission of God for the glory of God to, to walk out the way of Jesus. Guess what? I need you every single day. I need you every single day. I need, mon uh, I need moments in time throughout my week to where I have peers, I have uh, brothers and sisters in this congregation that are reminding me of the gospel. I need, it every, I need it every single week, and so do you. We need closeness in our spirituality and our walk. 
It's one of the reasons why we put up um, scripture to read together because we're hoping that God unifies our hearts in our scripture reading to where he's teaching us all at the exact same time through his word. You say, Cody, well, I do Bible in a year or I do this with my grow group or something like that. We don't put up a ton. Um, what if you just added on, you know, a little um, uh, Bible app? Well, let me just at least listen to it and trust that the Lord is going to use it to unify me within this body of Christ. I encourage you to do that. It's going to add four minutes. If you put it on double speed, it's going to add two minutes, all right? And so you can, you can do that as well. You can do that as well. All right, so we need to be close in, uh, we need to be close in our uh, confession of sin. We need to be close in our worship. We need to set spiritual goals together. So you might be here thinking, you know what? I like the church, but I, I don't really like their gospel communities. I like the church, but I don't really uh, like being a part of an accountability group. They make me feel weird. May I ask, may, may I ask that if that has been you, that you say, okay, I'm at least going to try. I'm going to jump back into it. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it once again. Because what we're doing here is if we want to really cultivate our hearts together and be filled with the love of God, this, is, this, this idea of feet washing is feet washing one another. It's washing one another's feet is, is reminding each other of the promise of we have been cleansed by the word of God. We need more than once a week for that. We need structured time to confess sin. We need structured times to think, to pray together and to say, this is who's in my life that is far from God in my sphere of influence, and I want to proclaim to them the good news. By the way, if you're here and you're trying to figure that out, and maybe you did get an invitation today, first of all, honored honored that you'd come and listen to how us as Christians talk um, on a Sunday morning. Truly honored by that. Uh, but secondly, secondly, I would uh, kind of fess up a little bit that what we desire from all of our friends in our sphere of influence is this, is that they know and have a real encounter with the God of the Bible that's not just pragmatic, but is alive and vibrant. That's, that's, our, that's our common aim. And so if, you, if you're a member here at Redeemer and you're just like, man, that's not my common aim, guess what? We have a members meeting uh, August 7th, and one of the things that we're trying to do during members meeting is not talk about business, not talk about budgets, nothing boring like that. What we're trying to talk about is are we on the mission of God together? Um, let's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and we trust that everything else will fall into place, okay? So let's be unified in the mission. Let's be unified relationally. We're trying to organize and structure our time together as a church to where, the, uh, one, hopefully no one on Sunday is eating by themselves. Uh, hopefully you have the opportunity to be really hospitable. If you see someone that you don't know, you see someone that you've been meaning to talk to for a long time, invite them out to lunch, get to know them. We should be marked by our hospitality. We should be primarily marked by our hospitality. The word is so clear on that. But also... Also, we should be connected relationally in our kind of units and structures within our gospel communities and our accountability groups, which we call grow groups. All right? This is the way to experience the towel, um, the, the, uh, the towel around the waist love of Christ and to display it often to one another. All right? So let me conclude with this. Uh, we are called to be marked by the humility of Christ. What is a humble person, church? 
isn't someone that's just constantly saying, no, not me, not me, man. Glory to God. Yeah, like, oh, great sermon, Cody. Oh, don't worry about it. Glory to God. Is that, is that a mark of humility? No. No, that's just someone deflecting and stuff. You know that you're around a humble person whenever you leave that person's presence and you say, wow, I feel great. That person was all about me person cared about what was going on in my life that person was investing in me that's truly a humble person dear church i call you to the humility of christ get down on your hands and knees wash each wash each other in the water of the word be committed to one another that's my prayer let's pray